welcome to Rise Up with Orion. Thank you so much for joining us today to really jump in with some more of our health coaches. This is the second episode of our Dear Coach series that we're doing this year. And I am so excited to have who I can call two of my very great friends at Orion join us today. So I do want to give them a little bit of an introduction, even though many of you probably already know them and speak to them regularly, but I want to introduce them formally if I can. So Rachel is here in the glasses for those of you who can see her. <laughs> Rachel is a firm believer that well-being is about more than just exercise and eating right. It's about being present with our minds, bodies, and our lives so that we can live life to the fullest. In her years as a coach at Orion, she has put that belief into practice as she helps others achieve well-being in many areas of their lives. She has her bachelor's degree in exercise science and has educational experience in exercise prescription, nutrition for a healthy lifestyle, positive psychology, and mindfulness. Thank you, Rachel, for being here. Thanks for having me, Tara. Excited to be here. Yes, thank you. And Shell, um, I also want to introduce you as well. Shell has worked in various sectors of the fitness industry and holds a bachelor's degree in exercise science. Having worked through and coached through many barriers to optimal health in her 20 years of experience, she has learned that there is a tremendous flexibility in the pathway to total wellness. For Shell, the most rewarding experience is meeting people where they're at and guiding them through their unique journey. And all of that we're going to talk about today. Yes. Thank you so much, Shell, for being here. I really want to jump in to really maximize our time that we have together um, and talk about this topic of building successful habits. And I know to a lot of people, this probably sounds like a very scary um, you know, endeavor to jump into, but I know we're going to be talking about some terms. Um, so Shell, I'll pose the question to you. A couple of the different terms that we're going to talk about is a habit, an outcome and an aspiration. Can you help us understand what the difference between those terms is and what they mean? Yes, I can. So um, we'll kind of start backwards from um, the terms that Tara has just outlined for us. So an aspiration is going to be your most general and kind of an abstract desire. And it's probably an, a desired outcome, but then what makes an outcome different than an aspiration is that it's more specific. So for example, saying that I want to sleep better is an aspiration. And saying that I want to sleep for eight hours a night would be an outcome. Or saying that you want to improve your body composition um, would be an aspiration. And saying that you want to reduce your body fat by 12% would be an outcome. And then what we want to do is to take those outcomes or aspirations, both are excellent. Aspirations can be a little bit more flexible. So I, I like flexibility. So I kind of like to start with those myself and you can kind of tweak it as you go on. But what you wanna do is choose a behavior that will lead to the desired outcome or aspiration. So you're kind of starting with like the big picture and then what are those small steps that will get you there? So in um, a behavior, is something that you can do at some point in time. So whether that is turning off your phone in order to, at a certain time, in order to get better sleep or the specific amount of sleep that you want, then you probably have to say, I'm gonna start my bedtime routine at this time based on when I need to wake up. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad that we're 
kind of defining that because each of them are very important, right? Um, because without the aspiration, we don't necessarily know what direction we're going, you know, and without the behaviors, we don't necessarily know what to do to get there. So each of them are important to really consider when we're thinking about something that we want to change. Um, because without defining each of those things, we're just kind of taking a shot in the dark, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time, too, I love the word aspiration. Um, but again, you know, a lot of the time for me, it's kind of a dream, you know, it's kind of something that is it's hard to get to, um, to really wrap my heads around, you know, as days go on. So, you know, for me, it's a little bit of a dream, but getting that dream to come exactly. true is something that you guys are the experts at. Yeah, I like exploring the aspiration part of things, too, because it gives us an opportunity to explore what our values are, right? I feel like that piece especially lines up with our values. I want to be healthier. I want to live longer. I want to, you know, it really helps us get in touch with what our big picture view of our life is, right? So while an aspiration is very vague and it feels very hard to nail down, it's so important because that a lot of time drives our why. So the more in touch we are with that, the the more successful we'll be. Yes, and to Rachel's point, the, that's the flexibility factor, right? So maybe we say that we start with an aspiration of we wanna lose weight and there's not actually like a specific number attached. So it's not an outcome, right? We just know that generally, we would like to lose weight. But then we think of, we consider that why a little bit more. And we realize that maybe it's more actually of a matter of, we wanna feel more comfortable in our skin or in our clothes, or we wanna be able to wear a certain piece of clothing and feel really confident in it. Um, or maybe we want more energy. And so starting with an aspiration, if you can even build on that, like, uh, like to Rachel's point, digging in and discovering why like why is that my aspiration then you can get a little bit more specific and that helps you to define okay as Rachel said like this is where I'm going and as that becomes more specific then you can come up with more specific steps to get there yeah I'll even have some clients who will say something like well is it vain for me to say I want to fit in this certain piece of clothing but I liked what you said because <laughs> The, it makes you feel confident and feeling confident and feeling good about yourself is a value, right? So it does, it yeah. kind of all comes back to that. But if we're just looking at things as a surface level, it can be hard, it can be really easy to dismiss. So it's nice to ask ourselves why and to really dig at the root of that. Well, and to put any of our, you know, preconceived, you know, perceptions of that or any bias that we have, you know, or any bias that other people have aside because everyone's why is different. So maybe for someone fitting in that, you know, dress or those clothes is key, but for others, that's not even on their wavelength. All they're trying to do is get down on their hands and knees and be able to get up okay, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so again, I think exactly. the why, exactly. push that aside and know that we're all unique and it's okay to have that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So while on the like the higher end there, we're asking ourselves why I find the next question we have to start asking is how. So then we get to, OK, so I want to get up from my hands and knees. OK, how am I going to do that? And that's where the behaviors come in and finding the right behavior that's going to get us there. We just have to keep asking ourselves how over and over until it's such a small piece, right? We just keep asking ourselves how. All right, I'm gonna take a walk, okay? How are you gonna take that walk? How does that fit into your 
your day and then, okay, I'm going to take it at noon. Okay. How are you going to do that? What things have to change for you to do it? And you keep asking yourself how until you find that core behavior that's going to get you there. Well, and to, to Rachel, for you to continue on that, why is, you know, finding that behavior and sticking to it so difficult? I know even for myself, one of my big 2022 goals was to do, you know, hopefully a daily meditation, you know, for my practice, for myself, for my patients, for my kids, all the things. And I knew that that was my why. I knew that. But why is, you know, finding and sticking to that behavior so difficult? Yeah, that's a good question. And I feel like that is the question, right? Sticking to it. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to get started with something new? And I mean, for everyone, it's going to be different, right? Um, for me, though, I like to look at everyone is motivated and everybody is incentivized in some way for something, right? And so for you, you wanted to do the meditation, the why was there, the motivation was there, but you just couldn't get started. Well, maybe it's because the motivation for things to stay the way that they are, for you to keep your schedule the way it is, is stronger at the time than the pull and the ability and everything that's working towards the change, right? Because our body and our minds are hardwired to make things as easy as possible our brain creates shortcuts all the time to do things you know that's why we'll be driving down the street and we'll suddenly be at work and it's like wait a minute how did i get here because our brain <laughs> yeah. shortcut we don't have to think through these yeah. things all the time so our regular routine is very is very hardwired in us and so it can be hard and i you know for anyone out there who's wanting to make a change and you're finding it difficult, know that you're not alone because it is difficult to change. Possible, but difficult. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for telling me that it's hard for everyone. Um, even, you know, the three of us that work in the wellness industry all day, every day. So it's hard for everybody. Thank you for confirming that. <laughs> no problem. I will admit that anytime you need. To kind of, yeah, build on what Rachel said it's competing desires, right? We have competing motivations. We might be extremely motivated, motivated to practice mindfulness, to do a meditation a certain number of times a week or daily. But again, we could have competing motivations that kind of, uh, that trump that desire. Um, the, I, a thought that came to mind was from James Clear, an article that he wrote for Entrepreneur Magazine online. Um, and kind of talks about the power of the scientific reasoning behind changing just one thing at a time. So I don't know, Tara, if in your case, you had maybe many goals that you were working toward at the same time, in addition to this desire to do meditation more regularly. But that can sometimes that can sometimes be defeating if we have many things that we're trying to change. I, I feel like I can probably summarize most of this article just like in a simple statement of the best way to make changes in your life is to not change your entire life so yeah. you're just kind of you're working on not kind of you are working on one thing at a time and just being very patient with that process in the study that cited in this article people were two to three times more likely to do the desired outcome which in this case was to exercise two to three times more likely to do it if they had what was called an implementation intention saying where they were going to exercise, what they were going to do, and for how long. But that was only true 
if they were only focusing on that one behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think about, you know, healthy cooking too, you know, for those that are trying to cook more healthy and they're used to eating fast food seven days a week from go to go, going from a fast food junkie to a vegetarian, um, it's just, it's a big long spectrum. And so I think that's, you know, one example that I'm thinking of. Right. Yeah. And I think we really fall trapped to this idea in society that either you do it all or you might as well not even try. Right. It's this all or nothing mindset where, you know, either I'm training for a marathon or what's the point, <laughs> which yeah. in my personal experience, I have never run a marathon, probably never will, don't have the knees for it. But it, you know, it's the small things day in and day out that make a big difference. But the more trapped we are in that all or nothing mindset, the harder it can be to feel like we have the power to make changes in our lives because it is yes. overwhelming going from fast food to going vegetarian or vegan. I've, I've had clients try it and they have told me a month later that it was very difficult to do. So it's like, okay, let's scale back. Let's do things one thing at a time. And the specific examples that you've both given remind me of um, an article that I recently read from Precision, Precision Nutrition. That's an embarrassing word to mess up saying, precision. Um, on the power of imperfect, consistent effort. And again, like the whole article was that better is better. And people who were just 10% better than they were at baseline were able to see some remarkable changes in both pounds lost, inches, um, and even just quality of, of nutrition, you know, outcomes aside, um, with Tara's specific example of like, if you're eating junk food seven times a week, just cutting that back to six mm -hmm. or five, you know, but even if you could cut it in half, some the biggest changes were actually, and I thought this was really interesting. There was no um, difference between those who were about 59% consistent as compared to those who were 80% consistent with their goals. So I, again, kind of back to the all or nothing mentality, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It just has to be something. And it can actually be something very small and still have significant, um, mm -hmm significant outcomes and just ripple effects on your health. Yeah, I'm kind of a, a Peloton junkie and my very favorite instructor, she always says progress over perfection. Um, yes. I, you know, that's something that I always have to remember when I fall off my meditation for a whole week, you know, that it's okay, that I can still get back on, you know, and no New Year's resolution is a fail unless you don't pick it back up. So progress, people. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Tara, the question that you had asked before was like, okay, why is change so hard, right? So we've talked a little bit about, you know, how much we're trying to change, how biting off more than we can chew. But there are a lot of other things that can influence how hard um, or how easy or how difficult it is to change something. So one thing to keep in mind is, you know, we're talking a lot about what we're doing, but we also have to keep in mind that the people around us have a lot of impact on it. And so like getting people on board to kind of support you with your goals, that type of thing can be really helpful. There are social influences, there are environmental influences that we might not even be aware of that are making it difficult to change as well, right? So we talk a lot about, okay, if I was just, if I were just more motivated, if I could just do this, if I could do this better, but there are other things that we could be changing 
within our environments of, um, you know, even the things we see on social media. That's a suggestion I give to people often too, is, you know, follow people who inspire you on social media, because yeah. even seeing that regularly coming through and reminding you of what your goals are can be enough to prompt you in that direction. So there's all these sources of influence that, you know, maybe that's a place to start when we're talking about making small changes. Maybe the first step isn't going to the gym. Maybe the first step is, you know, um, setting a reminder on your phone to go to the gym or putting a little block in your calendar for a certain amount of time to go to the gym. You know, maybe it's these environmental factors or social factors that could be the first step to help you get there. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And you were really kind of going to my my question about motivation. You know, where do you find motivation? I think you've given, you know, right there with those suggestions of social environmental, you know, influences, but they can also be motivators as well. Absolutely. Right. And believe it or not, motivation of all of the different factors that you need to do a certain behavior um, is the least reliable. Of, of all of the different factors. And there really are three basic factors. So motivation, ability, and prompt, which Rachel alluded to too. And so kind of looking at your social and especially your environmental, environmental factors is equivalent to a prompt. And that is what Dr. BJ Fogg, author of Tiny Habits, what I would yeah. probably consider my personal Bible for behavior change. <laughs> Um, calls prompts the low hanging fruit of behavior change. So again, like if we're, if we're trying to make something that's hard easier for us, we want to go for that low hanging fruit, right? So um, maybe just is it okay if I share some examples of how of what that would look like practically a prompt? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, you can use a prompt to either interrupt a behavior that you no longer want to do or to promote a behavior that you want to start doing. So I'll actually um, use some examples from Orient participants, just so you see how real life these are and how close to home these can hit. Um, I'm working with a gentleman who had a specific goal to work on portions over the next month. That was his action plan. And so we talked about, okay, how specifically are you going to do that? Because it's that was more of, an aspiration, right? An abstract desire. So how do we make it something that you can do in a certain point of time? So his idea was, for example, like on pizza night to get his chosen portion, take the box and put it in the fridge right after. So he's just in doing that removed the prompt. His wife will go one step further and ask him if there's something she doesn't want to see every time she opens the fridge to put it in the garage fridge so that every time she opens the fridge, she doesn't see the prompt, okay? Mm -hmm. And you can, on the flip side, something, a, a habit that you want to promote. Um, it worked with a very successful participant last year. She shattered her goals. Um, one of her first goals that she started with was substituting um, soda. She wanted to eliminate soda and drink more water and specifically throughout the day instead of just saving it all for the end of the day. So she found a reusable cup that she really liked with a lid and a straw, busy mother of two, um, had an infant at the time we started working together. But in the morning, she would fill up her cups 
and put them at various locations throughout her house. And so those were her props. Wherever she went, there was her water and in a form that she looked forward to drinking it for whatever reason, it was like just having the straw helped her to drink more water compared Mm -hmm. to other things she had tried before. So don't discount any little quirk that might seem insignificant. As long as it matters to you, it matters. And if it promotes a behavior that you want to do, use it to your advantage. I'm working on drinking more water right now. So I might try setting my cups out in different locations <laughs> yes. through my house because it's it's a real there we go. Yeah, it's a real challenge. Here I'll there it is. There's your visual <laughs> reminder. There it <laughs> is. <laughs> reminder. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that you said at the beginning there, um, I found this quote also by BJ Fogg um, from Tiny Habits. And I thought it was so funny. I wanted to share it about motivation being the least reliable. Um, yes. He said, motivation is like a party animal friend. Great for a night out, but not someone you would rely on to pick you up from the airport. And oh my gosh, it's so yes. true because it is here one day. It's not there the next day, even from minute to minute, right? Yes. It, yes. All we're relying on is motivation. And then we open that fridge and there's the pizza. Well, there goes the motivation, right? It, right? For me, it's ice cream. Like if I open the freezer and ice cream's there, there goes my motivation, right? So you kind of have to like plan around the motivation a little bit. Yes. But it's funny because exactly. when we think of behavior change, usually we stop at motivation. We think, well, I don't feel super motivated to do it today. So that's where mm-hmm. I'm stopping, right? We kind of yep. stop there. And we put our all of our energy and all of our time into how can I increase my motivation? But like you were saying, it's not just motivation. There's the prompt to do the activity and then also your ability to do that activity too, right? Yes. So, you know, if your motivation is feeling low, focus on setting a prompt and increasing your ability to do it by thinking about what behaviors you can be implementing. And um, so, there's a few different things that affect our ability, right? So there's time, there's money, there's the physical capabilities that we have, the mental energy that we have, and whether or not it fits within our routine. And so if you feel your motivation lacking, think about those five things and figure out how to improve upon those. So if if I don't have the physical capability to do this thing, if I can't run a mile right now, what do I need to do to work my way up to a mile, right? Um, and then start breaking that down into, okay, well, I'm going to start by walking for five minutes, right? If I don't have the mental energy to um, do my meditation, right? What am I going to do instead? Well, I'm going to do something that makes me feel a little bit better. I'm going to, you know, just coming up with any any small thing to help us get to where we have the ability so we're relying a little bit less on the motivation. Exactly. And motivation can be trained, right? In a sense, we were talking a little bit about this before we started rolling tape of The Willpower Instinct. It's a book by Dr. Kelly McGonigal, also a Stanford professor like Dr. Fogg. Um, she wrote a book called The Willpower Instinct that is essentially about how to train your willpower. And so it is possible, but again, not what we want to, it's not the friend that we would rely on to pick us up at the airport. That's like the perfect example, right? Because we can all relate to it. 
Um, I think it might be a good time also to just as speaking of ability and just kind of building off of the the chain that um, Rachel was talking about, our ability chain. Is that what it's called? Yeah. What's it called? Yes. Okay. Yes. Ability chain. Yeah. Uh, so some a question that you can ask yourself, right? We call it the breakthrough question is what is making this behavior hard to do? So if you can start there, then you just do like an old fashioned brainstorm. And then that leads you to the breakthrough question. Did I already say breakthrough question? Okay, the discovery question, okay? The discovery question is what could make this question, or what could make this behavior easier to do? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you both have touched on it too. The word that keeps banging me in the back of the head is the barriers. What are the things that are yeah. getting in the way of me being mm -hmm. successful? You know, and we're obviously trying to be successful, but again, there's so many barriers and every single one of those items that Rachel mentioned, um, they really can become barriers. Um, yeah. So again, that's always something for me and there's always barriers. And unfortunately for me, barriers often turn into excuses and I'm sure I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And there can be different kinds of barriers, right? So is it that um, the task is too big? Is it that it doesn't fit into your routine? I mean, there's so many different barriers and it's, there's no one size fits all answer for everyone as to what's going to work. Um, but hold on. I have something in my notes that had something about barriers. Sorry, little fourth wall here. I have to look through my notes. Anyway, so there are things that you can do to break through the barriers. Shell, maybe you can remind me of what it is. One of them is to make the the action as tiny as possible. Mm -hmm. Oh, one is to give yourself new tools and resources. So, like for example, maybe um, getting something that can help track your activity. You know, that would be a tool to help you. You know, increase your um, likelihood of breaking through these barriers. And then another is to gain new abilities. Right, to learn to do new things. Um, also, another tool that you can do is to work with your coach, talk to your coach. Just talking <laughs> with someone about it can help you break through those barriers because you're brainstorming with someone. You're not left on your own because alone it can feel so daunting and so hard. But, you know, when you're talking about it out loud with someone, a lot of times those barriers just start to break down on their own because you're finally verbalizing all those things that have just been circling in your brain for so long. Yep, and I love, you know, and I'm going to kind of put the push in here as well. I mean, speaking to a health coach, whether or not someone is assigned a health coach or not, I mean, you guys have, you know, 20, probably 40 years of experience between the two of you <laughs> of examples of how people have overcome things and your tips and tricks, you guys are the best chefs in the kitchen um, <laughs> to really put in the ingredients that are going to make it work. Um, so again, you know, for anyone who's never worked with a health coach before, um, you know, it's a different experience and, you know, it's worth what I feel like every moment you spend because you guys have so many different, you know, strategies to make someone successful and empowered. So, you know, a little plug on the side there. Thanks. <laughs> so, ladies, what happens when you fail? Um, you know, again, circling back to my comment at the beginning about New Year's resolutions, you know, unfortunately, New Year's resolutions, it's a, it's a joke for a lot of people um, because they do fail and they, you know, three weeks in, no one's at the gym anymore, you know? So again, there's just so many things that get in the way, in the way and behaviors and habits are the same way, whether or not we call it a New Year's resolution. 
Um, what happens when we fail? So what are some of your tips, tricks, expertise, examples of what happens when we fall off? What happens when our habit that we're trying to form isn't successful? I think the first thing that I would tell someone who has tried and failed is to first of all, have compassion for yourself um, because having, having a negative viewpoint of what happened, or I guess that's the wrong way to put it, but beating yourself up over getting off track does not serve you well. It doesn't get you moving. If anything, it gets you stuck in this place where you're just dwelling on that negativity and it makes it harder and harder. So have compassion, look at it from an outside perspective of, yeah, okay, you went to that, you know, you went to the birthday party with your friends, you ate dessert that night, but of course, because you're celebrating with your friends, you know, and it's okay to celebrate. Whereas someone might go and they feel so bad about having dessert that night that the next day they wake up and they just don't feel like trying again because they're so frustrated with themselves that they just stay in this place. So first and foremost, absolutely have compassion for yourself because change is not easy. And even people who have been maintaining for a long time can, you know, can find themselves easily distracted, right? Can find themselves getting off track. For the people who long-term keep up with these habits, it's not that they always are staying on the path of what they wanna do, it's that they get back on the path. And that's the difference between someone who reaches their aspirations, their outcomes, and someone who doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, expect that you'll have setbacks. Mm -hmm. So if you kind of start, feeling like it's perfection or I failed, then you are going to fail. And that is the hard reality. But if you know that again, it's going to be progress over perfection, that better is better. And as long as I'm not doing the same thing and expecting different results, then mm -hmm. I'm on a forward pathway. And it's kind of even just like logically, you're thinking of making a change for the better. You're thinking of kind of just visual if you're a visual person you're visualizing kind of moving on a pathway forward maybe it's a staircase upward but it's forward or upward right and you're so much more likely to move forward or upward if you don't have to bend down and pick up the pieces all the time you're going to have to do that just like rachel said like with the self-compassion but learn to do it quickly and thoroughly um again there's some fascinating research about the power of compassion and forgiveness um, just like one st study, if I can cite, uh, I call it the donut study. Some dieters came into a study. They were told beforehand that they had to eat a donut and they had to drink a full glass of water and they had to choose the donut that they were going to eat just so that they felt kind of uncomfortably full and very complicit in this. Uh, they're dieters, you know, that's what they, they were in this research program for dieters and they felt kind of like, okay, we've already felt, and then they have to do a taste test for different candies. <laughs> and the researchers decided that they, they had this hypothesis. They wanted to test the power of compassion. And so they decided with one group of people, they would deliver a compassion or forgiveness type of message where they mm -hmm. just came in and simply said, we realize that some of you feel guilty about eating the donut just remember that everybody falls off the wagon sometimes and we asked you to do it 
and and that was kind of it like they brought in their perspective kind of shifted the focus right of like let yourself off the hook yeah so those the the people in the group that had received the self-compassion let yourself off the hook message ate less than less than half as much candy as those who did not receive a self-compassion message because when we're in a state of guilt and anxiety that is not our higher thinking loftier thoughts kind of brain we're shifting back to our more kind of primal fight or flight i want to feel good instantly not the place where we hold our long-term goals our values and really our confidence that we can do hard things so that is that is real expect setbacks and prepare for them there is power in that maybe we can talk more about that as well if there's not another question or comment yeah well one of the you know we do have a live comment that just came in um about baseball and i think it's a great example i have another one you know with children as well but um the live participant was talking about the greatest batters they only hit the base 60 percent of the time you know yeah. and that's considered great and amazing yes. so again it's really where those standards are and then my example since we're all raising little kids on the on the yes. podcast today <laughs> we teach our kids that you know to get up dust yourself off keep trying you know i'm my little one is just learning how to swim you know and it's one of those where yes now he can float and now he can doggy paddle across the deep end but again he is not the most successful swimmer but we're still doing it and we're still practicing He's in so the water yeah as adults all of a sudden we hold ourselves so tight um but we're taught as children it's okay just keep trying do your best you know, so why aren't we still doing that? I find it really fascinating that all of a sudden as adults, we're so hard on ourselves rather right. than going back to what we're taught when we're little. <laughs> right, right. Well, there's a, a book by Brene Brown called Rising Strong, and it's all about this second act. So let me explain. So we have the first act where we're called to something, right? Where something it, some adventure is about to happen. We're about to embark on something great. And then we have the third act where every, you know, it's the conclusion of the story and the good guy is one and everything comes out great. And wouldn't it be great if those were just, that was the story. But so, the yeah. majority of the story happens in this second act. And it's this act where setbacks happen and the villains close in and all these things happen and it's that messy middle that all of the growth happens that's where mm -hmm. the person who comes out victorious on the other side becomes that person in the first place right and so if you find yourself struggling and if you find yourself like disappointing yourself or finding yourself just not where you want to be you are among you know you're in good company essentially because we're yes. all in that place at some point where we are in that messy middle and i would argue we're probably constantly there just depending on what we're working on and where we're at in our lives right but in in some way we're always in this messy middle of something where we're we're struggling and we're learning but that's where all of the growth comes from and where we come out the other side these stronger victorious people in the end yes i and think i probably, live in the middle and that's fine yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we kind of we know just even like we're physiology nuts, right? And we know like even on a physiology or a physiological level, the heart is strengthened literally as it is stretched. Mm -hmm. As the heart pumps through like 
larger and larger volumes of blood, it has to stretch. And mm -hmm. eventually, if that, if that training is prolonged and consistent, it becomes stronger. So I always like to think of that when I'm feeling like I'm being stretched, the heart grows stronger as it is stretched. Mm -hmm. you know? so, and that's yeah. really true of us. It also reminds me of growth mindset. Hearing Rachel yeah. use the word growth in the messy middle, right? That's where the growth is. Um, also an area where some fascinating research is being done um, specifically on children who have a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. And we all kind of tend to one or the other and maybe some in different areas of our lives. But a growth mindset is essentially the power of yet. So it's not that I tried and I failed, but I just, I haven't accomplished my desired outcome or aspiration yet. And that I can keep trying and that the the actual joy is in the process. And yeah. so putting the emphasis on the process, which you have infinitely more control over than the outcome can be very empowering to keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. And that process is bringing you through the messy middle, hopefully getting you through that. Yeah. yeah. I want to point out too, that if this feels unfamiliar, if it feels kind of scary and just so foreign, that's because a lot of us weren't taught this as kids. You know, we're living out what we've learned through our experiences. And so, you know, we're presenting this information that can seem really intimidating and that's okay, right? It's okay to say, oh, why don't I think that way? Why do I have this fixed mindset? Why am I struggling so much with this? But we're we're living out these experiences from our past, right? And we weren't necessarily taught these things. There's so much knowledge that's come up over the decades, you know, and it takes time. It definitely does to implement these things. But again, just like we were talking about, what matters is that we just keep trying and keep bringing ourselves back to the path, right? That we want to be on. Absolutely. I love it. So we're kind of, we're rounding out our last couple of minutes together. And I love to end all of our webinars and podcasts by allowing our speakers to give three of their hottest tips or their three of their, you know, something, you know, three snippets of your knowledge. So based on our topic today, um, Michelle, I'll start with you. Three of your hottest coaching tips on how you can empower someone to build a successful habit. Okay, so I'm going to circle back mm -hmm. to a different aspect of prompts because, again, the low hanging fruit of behavior change, right? Like, why not really put a lot of focus on this? Because you're probably already doing it. And so the, the kind of different angle that I'll take is habit stacking. So just as an example, um, maybe like the overall principle actually would be that your routine, your right now routine becomes your prompt. So if you have a goal of eating more fruits and vegetables um, and you maybe don't have a lot more time to do that, then you grab an apple or a banana or an orange and it just goes in your bag with you on the way out the door. So that your right now person your right now routine can accommodate it. Um, one way this was used recently with an Orion participant is that he decided that he had a habit already of grabbing a Mountain Dew and from mm -hmm. his garage fridge. And so his habit stack was that he would get two bottles of water and one bottle of 
Mountain Dew, however he drank it. And within a month reported that he was drinking half of what he had been the month before. So that's, so habit stacking, that's one. Um, and then I think I'm going to, for my second and third, this is hard. This is really hard to narrow it down. To three. Like I said, you have so many, I know. Like, so I'm going to use again an Orient participant and try to illustrate two different principles that I think can help anyone and that I hope will be empowering kind of note for at least me to end on. So the first principle is that it's never too late. So if you feel like, no, I'm just, I am who I am, I've tried and it hasn't worked for me, remember that it's never too late. And the person I'm gonna to use to illustrate this point's name is John. He was retired when we started working together. His wife was an employee of a large construction company, finishing out her last few years before retirement. And John had a brain aneurysm between our first and second conversation. So talk about, well, just heart-wrenching, right? Well, he decided that even though he was in his 60s, he was going to commit to everything that his doctor and I suggested that he do. He went on a DASH kind of diet. That stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension or High Blood Pressure. He started exercising 30 to 60 minutes most days and was just very consistent. His doctor later used him as an example to the residents in this cardiac program um, of someone who went from clogged veins to clean veins and arteries because of the lifestyle medicine that he was practicing. So it's never too late. Well, I'm also gonna use John to illustrate my last tip, which is the best opportunity is the earliest opportunity. And the reason I think John knew that he could make changes and see improved outcomes is because when he was middle-aged, when he was around 50, his doctor told him that if he kept drinking soda, he would be diabetic within three months. So he reported to me that he went straight out to his El Camino and dumped <laughs> out his Dr. Pepper right there in the parking lot and he never looked back. And guess what? He never became diabetic either. Yeah. So I think it's, so those are my three, habit stacking or prompts, it's never too late, but the best and the best, let's double side that, and the best opportunity is the earliest opportunity. Oh my gosh, so great. I hope everyone's writing this down. All right, Rachel, <laughs> what's your hot tip? Okay, so for me, um, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but one thing that I would suggest is put first things first and don't try to focus on too much too soon. Um, a lot of people that I'm working with right now are under a lot of pressure, whether from things happening in society or work, there's just a lot of stress in our lives right now, right? Um, first things first. So if it feels like a lot to add things, make sure that you have a very solid foundation with where you're at mentally and emotionally, right? Take care of yourself. If it feels like too much and you know, like dragging yourself out of bed to go to the gym feels like too much, allow yourself to take care of you. That would be one of my first steps because when you, when your body recognizes that it's safe, when it recognizes that it's being cared for and not pushed too hard, too fast, it allows a lot more progress to happen, right? So put first things first, make sure you're taking care of you. 
Um, the next would be, again, something that we've kind of already touched on, but start small, especially if you're finding it hard to just get out there and get started. Find the smallest possible action that you can take and start there, right? So even if it's putting on your shoes, you know, the, that's the first step. And if you've done it, celebrate that success, right? Even if it feels ridiculous, celebrate it because you've done it. You've done something in the direction that you wanna go, right? And then the next time you're gonna put on your shoes and you're gonna step outside. And then the next time you're gonna put on your shoes and you're gonna walk for one minute and you just keep adding onto it, right? So start at the smallest possible. And the third relates to that, but I wanna emphasize it more is reward yourself and celebrate yes. all of your successes. Um, and this can seem, you know, kind of um, vague, right? But rewarding yourself by telling yourself you've done a good job, that you've done something hard. Reward yourself with an affirmation. The difference between a reward and an incentive, you know, you might incentivize yourself by saying, okay, if I work out five times, I'm gonna go out with my friends or whatever. That's an incentive. A reward is something that's tied to the behavior. So look for a reward that you can give yourself like, even just smiling after you've put on your shoes, right? Or looking for being very present with your body and recognizing the impact that taking that walk had on your mental and physical state, right? And uh, offering yourself an affirmation, I can do hard things, those types of things. Find a reward that instantly gives you those those good feelings, those warm fuzzies, it's a hit of dopamine, right, that your body's getting, and it's going to reinforce that behavior much faster and help it to become a habit. So those are my three. Oh my gosh. Well, I know for myself, I got a hit of dopamine, dopamine just talking to you guys today. And so I help others as Same. well when they're working. Um, because there's been so, so many amazing things, like I said, and I love the repetition that you guys brought back at the very end with your tips, because that really is the most important with everything that we're talking about is the repetition and to keep trying and keep circling back, you know, to this podcast yeah. for other, you know, different tips and tricks. Um, and I'm very excited about next month as well. We're really going to be continuing this conversation about habits. Um, and I've invited one of my friends who's an author, a model, inspirational speaker. She was the former Mrs. Utah American. And she's going to be talking about what people's success metric is. So what does success look like for each of us and how do we find that? So I think that's it really builds on what we talked about today. So hoping everyone will circle back um, next month to listen to that podcast and join us. But I want to hats off to you both. Thank you so much, Rachel and Shell, for joining our Rise Up with Orion podcast. Um, and this is probably not going to be the last. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. <laughs> thank you so much. Have a great day.